Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter. I will be reading verses 1 to 8. Let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's words. It's found in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your word, which is truth. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might see wonderful things in this portion of your word, that we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made, that we might more enjoy the calling that you have given to us, and that we might honor you more along the path of life. Praying in the name of the Lord Jesus, your Son and our Savior, who reigns together with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, after a number of months, we come to the final uh, I am saying. We've been studying those I am sayings in the Gospel of John, uh, where Jesus says I am, and then it's typically followed by one metaphor or another. We've looked at I am the bread. I am the light, I am the, great, uh, the gate, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way. And this last I am saying is I am the vine. Now our text naturally falls into two sections, uh, verses 1 and 2 and then verses 3 through 8. In verses 1 and 2, Jesus simply gives us the extended metaphor of the vine, the branches, the gardener, and the fruit. And then in verses 3 through 8, he draws out some of the significance uh, from this imagery. So let's just do those two things. Let's first of all uh, say a few things about the imagery and then draw out the significance of that imagery for our walk. So first of all, the image in verses 1 to 2, there are a number of components, the vine. Uh, to uh, first century Jews in Jesus' day, when he says, I am the vine, uh, it wouldn't have shocked them. It kind of is a weird image to us, I am the vine. It, would have, it wouldn't have shocked them at all because they knew their Old Testaments, and in knowing their Old Testaments, they knew that the Old Testament used the image of a vine uh, many times. And in particular, the vine was used as an image of God's people Israel. For example, Isaiah 5, 1 and 2. I will sing for the one uh, I love. 
a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Uh, the, the, the one who does all of the planting is, the, is God, and Israel is the vine that God planted. Psalm 88 and 9 says of God, you transplanted a vine from Egypt. Have any of you ever done any transplanting? You know the risks involved in transplanting. Well, God took a vine out of Egypt, Israel. You drove out nations, the conquest in the days of Joshua, and you planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. So when, uh, when Jesus says, I am the vine, it wouldn't have been a weird image to ancient uh, Jews in the first century because they were quite familiar with thinking of themselves as the vine. And what Jesus says is, I am the true vine. Uh, and to any first century Jew, they would have heard Jesus saying, uh, I am the true Israel. And we're going to see the significance of this momentarily. But Jesus is the true Israel. Like the Apostle Paul will say, Jesus is the second Adam. A, a first Adam came and failed and brought condemnation. And a second true Adam comes and he succeeds and he brings justification. The Gospels say that there was a first Israel, a first Israel that came out of Egypt. And so Matthew will say of Jesus, out of Egypt I have called my son. And uh, that, that first Israel went through the wilderness after the parting of the waters at the Red Sea. And so Jesus goes down to the Jordan to be baptized and he spends 40 days in the wilderness as the first uh, Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness. But where that first Israel failed, like Adam failed, and as Adam had to be kicked out of the garden, Israel had to be kicked out of the land, Jesus succeeds as the true Adam and the true Israel. And so when Jesus says, I am the vine, it was an astounding claim that he's the true Israel of God. Now, there's also branches in the image. And like the vine in the Old Testament, branches are used frequently in imagery. Uh, branches in particular, uh, in general, are used uh, for a picture of productivity, regardless of what kind of branches they are. Ezekiel 31, 3 and 6. Consider Assyria, once a cedar in Lebanon, with beautiful branches overshadowing the forest. It towered on high, its top above the thick foliage. All the birds of the sky nested in it. All the animals of the wild gave, gave birth under its branches. All the great nations lived in its shade. Branches as a picture of productivity, of prosperity, of safety, of security, of abundant life. Or Psalm 80.10, the mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. So in general, uh, when Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches, branches was something that uh, ancient uh, Jews in the first century were familiar with, a picture of 
prosperity of productivity. Uh, but in Jesus' uh, in Jesus' image, we're talking about a grapevine in particular, not just any vine. That too comes out of the Old Testament, Genesis 40.10. And on the vine, there were three branches. See, one vine, three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Ezekiel 19.10, your mother was like a vine in your vineyard planted by the water. It was fruitful and full of branches because of abundant water. Uh, remember when the uh, 12 spies went in. You can probably see the, the, the artwork in your mind's eye of two of the spies uh, carrying a pole. And on the pole, these huge clusters of huge grapes, uh, the branches that are vine, wine, grape. And of course, then there's the gardener. Uh, Gardener was an image that was familiar again to the ancient Jew in the first century. It was an image of God. Back to Isaiah, our Isaiah 5, 1 to 12. He, God, dug it up. God cleared the land of the stones. God planted it with choicest vines. God built a watchtower. God cut out a wine press. God looked for a crop of good grapes. God is a gardener. Of course, where do we first meet God after he creates the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1? We meet him in the Garden of Eden, walking about with his people. God is a garden, an image that would have been familiar. A gardener. Yep. Sorry, I'm, I'm out of this category. Uh, woodworker, yes. Gardener, no. If you only went into my backyard, you'd say, yeah, I concur. No gardener here. Uh, conversely, my brother. My brother's backyard could probably be in better homes and garden. He just loves to garden. And uh, he loves to tell me about his gardening projects. He's older than me, and he now is starting to get some of the high school boys from the neighborhood to do some of the heavy lifting. But still, um, because of some circumstances a while back, he was confronted with selling his house and that's the last thing he wanted to do. And one of the reasons he didn't want to sell his house is because he didn't want to give up the garden of his backyard. Again, I can't relate to that, I'm telling you, but some of you probably can. But the, uh, the image of the gardener, someone who, as we have read, someone who prepares the ground. I did learn that, that the big key to success in planting anything is the prep work, Right? Uh, you gotta you gotta dig a hole that's big enough, and you've got to have enough uh, enough uh, new fresh soil and loose soil and fertilizer underneath it. You gotta do all that preparation work in order to make it work. I, I know nothing about it, but I do know that the quality of a paint job is often where it's in the preparation. Uh, because if you don't prepare well and you're painting over dirt, trust me, lousy job. I've got lots of experience. I painted my way through uh, seminary many years ago. But the gardener prepares. The gardener cares. The gardener expects to see a crop of good fruit coming as the result of his labor. An image of God in general. But again, uh, as Jesus puts his own twist on this familiar image, it's not just God in general, but it's his Father. John 15, 1, I am the true vine, 
and my father is the gardener. Very personal. My father is the gardener. So Jesus paints this picture. He's the vine. The father's the gardener. There are branches. It's a a grapevine. There's fruit being born. The father is, in this particular passage, pruning those vines so that they can be more fruitful. And in verses uh, 3 through 8, Jesus begins to draw out the significance. He begins to apply this metaphor to the lives of his disciples. So let's take a look at that. And the first thing I want to say briefly is what this text is not about. This text is not about your justification, and that has to be clear from the beginning. Jesus here is not talking about how to get connected to the vine. That if you can only produce enough fruit, then God will reward you by enabling you to be connected to him. This is not about your justification. Um, Notice that in verse 3, Jesus says, and he just seems to come, come out of nowhere, he says, you're already clean. He wants the disciples to know. This is going back to uh, an earlier text in the gospel that had to do with cleanness. Uh, remember that time when, um, when, when Jesus, when Jesus uh, was going to wash the disciples' feet? And uh, Peter said, no way, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then Peter, as he was wont to do, said, well, if that's the case, then don't just wash my feet. Give me a whole bath head to toe. And Jesus says, you don't get what I'm saying. You are already clean. You do not need a bath. Your sins have been washed away. I'm just talking about washing the feet. You know, because even though you're clean, when you walk around outside in a pair of ancient sandals or modern flip-flops, you know, the dress shoes of Central Florida, when you walk about in, in, in sandals, your feet are going to get dirty. The rest of you are, are, is, is clean, but you've come in contact with the world and, and you've gotten your feet dirty. You need to take care of those daily sins. But I'm not talking about your justification. You're already clean. So that has to be said at the very beginning. This is not about your justification. You are clean. And the last verse, verse 8 says, this is how you show yourself to be my disciples. This is not about justification. Because you're already clean. This is about showing who you really are. Uh, I typically do not do any design work in the worship service. So I often enjoy how watching pieces of the puzzle in the, of the worship service come together. Just based on my sending a scripture text and a title to Minda. And uh, you'll notice that we, we read from the larger catechism this morning. Uh, the, a brief statement on the doctrine of sanctification. And that's really what we're talking about here, how we, how we produce more fruit, how we increase in our godliness. So this metaphor is not about your justification. Well, what is it about? Simply put, it's about staying connected to Jesus. Because there are many things in life that have as their goal disconnecting you from Jesus. And so Jesus tells this parable about staying connected. 
Now, the verb that is used in my translation uh, is the verb remain. Did you notice as I was reading how many times the verb remain occurs? Uh, I think in King James, this is abide. I, I, that's what I, I have a recollection from my youth, that, that this is about abiding. But my, my translation says remain. Verse 4, remain in me. Verse 4, I remain in you. Uh, verse four, 4 again, it must remain in the vine. Verse 4 again, unless you remain in me. Verse 5, if you remain. Verse 6, if you do not remain. Verse 7, if you remain. Verse 7, my words remain. We've learned many times in many sermons that uh, whereas our English teachers tell us to vary our vocabulary so what we write is not boring... Hebrew teachers taught their kids uh, to, Hebrew mothers taught their kids to repeat their vocabulary so that people will get the main point. And it's clear what this text is about. It's about remaining. It's about staying connected to Jesus. And I just want to say three things about staying connected to Jesus. Number one, staying connected to Jesus is necessary. Make no mistake. It is necessary that you stay connected to Jesus. You see, the vine is used in a number of ways in the Old Testament. And sometimes it's used as an image of of disconnection and judgment. Isaiah 5.2, remember, the gardener looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Jeremiah 2.21, God says, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? This is why in John 15.6, Jesus says, If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. There are many forces all around you every day that are seeking to disconnect you from Jesus. Uh, Jesus tells us about this in other parables. Just the cares of the world. Sometimes life just gets heavy. And it's maybe not even because of anything so dramatic. It's just the amount. And it can weigh us down, and as it weighs us down, its ultimate goal is to get us to take our eyes off Christ so that we're looking so much at the negativity that is all around us, whether it's in our own lives or our families or our communities or the nation or the world, that we take our eyes off Christ and we're tottering on getting disconnected. Or maybe it's, maybe it's just our sins and failures. Have you had any in the past week? And, and as, we, as we just focus on our sins and on our failures and on the things that, that perplex us in terms of what we read in the Bible and what we see in our lives... It can just threaten to disconnect us from Jesus because we are focusing 
more and more on ourselves and our inadequacies and our failures, our doubts, our fears. And when we focus on those things, we are teetering on being disconnected from Jesus. But the the vine is not only an image of potential judgment. It's also an image in the Old Testament of, of restoration from that situation. Jeremiah 31.5, again you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruit again. Because we do go through these, these low and dark times, but there's always hope. There's always hope of that again, a, a new vine, a restored vine, enjoying the fruit because God says in Amos 9:14, "I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. God always gets the last word. And the last word is always good news. The last word is not a word of divine judgment on ancient Israel. You're not my people. You're going into the Babylonian captivity. There was a word that came after that. I will restore you and bring you back to the land. And you'll plant houses and you'll plant, you'll build houses. You'll plant vineyards. You'll enjoy the wine that comes from those grapes. Restoration. And again, you see, Jesus, Jesus is the true vine. It is, it's no longer a matter of whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. In the Old Testament, that was a big issue. Because for the most part, with a few exceptions, Israelite men a child of God, and non-Israelite men a non-child of God. You had some exceptions, some anticipations of a new day. Uh, You had people like Rahab, who comes into the people of God. You have people like Ruth, who comes into the people of God. You have somebody like Uriah. Remember, they call him Uriah the Hittite. And even though David wanted to kill him, he was a child of God, even though he had been a Hittite. So you get these anticipations in the Old Testament. But still, by and large, in the Old Testament... It is Israelite, child of God, non-Israelite, non-child of God, but now the true child of God comes. The true Israelite comes, and so Paul says it is no longer a matter of Jew or Gentile. Paul says what does matter, what matters is not if you're Jewish, not if you're Gentile, your race doesn't matter, your ethnicity doesn't matter, Your social status doesn't matter. Paul says in Romans 9, there's only one thing that matters. Are you connected to the vine? You see, Paul acknowledges there are some natural branches, Jewish branches, but then there are a whole bunch of other branches from every people group that have been grafted in. And it doesn't matter if you're natural or grafted in. The only thing that counts is being connected to the vine. I'm guessing Paul read John 15 at some point. What matters is being connected to Jesus. It's absolutely necessary. Ultimately, 
in this life and the life to come, nothing else really matters. The only thing that counts is your answer to this question. Am I or am I not connected to the vine? If you are not, it will not go well with you in the end. Ecclesiastes says, though I see somebody living a long, long time, having done all sorts of wrong things, and a good person dying young, I know that in the end it will go better with the person who fears God. The only thing that ultimately counts in life is being connected to Jesus. Everything else pales in significance. Staying connected is necessary. Staying connected is also fruitful. John 15, 4, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. The very next verse says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Notice that promise, you will bear much fruit. Being con- Our culture longs for meaning, longs for a sense of purpose. And here's where you ultimately get it. Fruitfulness. Being able to look back on your life when you come to the end and being able to say, that was a life worth living. Look at the fruit that my life bore. We all long to be able to see that our labor is productive, that we're making a difference, that we're producing some kind of fruit for this life and for the life to come. And isn't it wonderful when we can see it? It's kind of like, you know, you buy a stock. And isn't it fun to just watch that stock rise in value? You say, wow, look at the fruit of my labor. Uh, Or you you start a project. Maybe it's uh, doing something in your backyard. Or for me, maybe it's woodworking. You start a project. And when you're done, you can look back and you have that sense of accomplishment because your labor produced something. I, uh, I had a big adjustment to make when I went into pastoral ministry. Part of it was because I had grown up as the son of a cabinet maker. And as the son of a cabinet maker, you would go into the shop and you would take this rough lumber and you would mill it and you would machine it and you would shape it and you would join it and you would assemble it. And when you were done, you could look at the work of your hands and you could say, I did that. My labor produced this for me. Uh, Then when I went into pastoral ministry, it was kind of like, you know, Sunday after Sunday, sermon after sermon, uh, problem after problem. And this was a healthy church. Um, but, But I didn't have that sense of closure. And that was coupled by the fact that I had spent so many years in in the academic world where, you know, you have the end of this semester, the end of that semester. The, you come to these closures, and it was just kind of like unended, not ever really seeing the fruit. It's wonderful when we can see the fruit of our labor. But sometimes you can't. Sometimes you'll get a glimpse of it at the end of your life. 
but maybe in this life you will never see the fruit of some of your labor. Had a wonderful experience with my eldest son last night. We were, um, we were sitting on the back patio chatting, and uh, you may recall that uh, he's in construction, and he's been working on a large project for a couple of, for probably better than a year, still has another year uh, to go. They're down in Winter Haven, and they're completely remodeling um, uh, a retirement community. And so they're doing every unit, and you know they're dealing with mold and this, that, and the other. And not only has Will learned a lot of skills in terms of doing the work of a finished carpenter, he's grown there. But for the contractor, he's been the foreman. And for the corporation that's running this from New York City, he's been the project manager. So he has this software, and he's, he's learned how to be a project manager, and he's learned how to manage other people, and it's just been a wonderful experience. We were chatting. My dad went by Pappy, and I just said, Will, I wish Pappy were here right now. I wish he were still alive. How you two could converse with each other. The stories that he could tell you. Uh, from his work as a cabinet maker, and, and how you could share with each other. Then I said, wait a minute, let me show you something. And I went into my office, and I brought out this little notebook. I mean, I'm telling you, the, the notebook is about that size, and it's about that thick, and it's A, B, C, D, E, F, G, it's alpha, alphabetical. The cover has had to be taped on, you wouldn't, you, the pages would fall out. And I handed it to Will, and I said, here's Pappy's Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> I said, this is the book that he kept in his pocket. This is what he picked out every time he had to figure a job. And so Will opened it, and he starts to read this really, really tiny print. And he's reading about 36-inch uh, oak treads and return treads, and he's reading about handrail, this length for this price from this particular distributor, and he's reading about newel caps and returns, and he's just amazed. I said, that's all he had. The software that you have, it's all right here in this little book. And I just thought, if my dad could only see the fruit of his labor, and, and his labor in me as his son. But you know how things can kind of skip a generation? I mean, I'm a good woodworker. But I learned from my son now. It, like, it jumped over me, and it landed on Will. He's got my dad's DNA. If my dad could only see. Because, you see, my dad had two sons. And um, my dad had his own business in, he had his own cabinet shop, and I know down deep inside, my dad would have loved to see as the fruit of his fathering, one of his sons take over his business. And we both had the ability, but neither of us had the calling. And my dad never made the mistake of trying to superimpose his will on his boys nor on my sister. He really understood that it was his job to shape them to do the thing that God called them to do, not the thing that he was calling them to do.
if he could only talk to Will, he would see the fruit of his labor. What's my point in that long illustration? Don't forget the point. Sometimes you can't see the fruit for your labor. Sometimes you're tempted to say, vanity of vanities. It was all vanity. Oh, but you've got to remember, Jesus is the vine. And Jesus said, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit, even if you can't see it. Because to go back to a previous I am, I am the resurrection and the life. Which is why the Apostle Paul says, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain, And that is in the longest chapter in the New Testament, which is the chapter on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and your resurrection as well. So you've got to, at times, walk by faith and not by sight. You you do get the luxury of seeing the fruit of your labor, but not always. And sometimes you may never see it in this life at all. But Jesus says... If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. So remaining is necessary. Remaining is fruitful. And one more thing briefly, staying connected is glorifying to the Father. How does Jesus end this section? The eighth verse. He says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. We saw this last week, didn't we? Jesus didn't say, I am the destiny, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I am the way. And he's not like the bridge to nowhere. He's a way to somewhere. And, the way that, and Jesus is the way to the Father, because always through the pages of the New Testament, the Father is ultimate. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, but that is not ultimate. What is ultimate is to the glory of God the Father. And that from Paul again comes from Jesus when Jesus says, not it's to my glory that you bear much fruit. True that that is. You do glorify Christ in your bearing of fruit. But Jesus takes that glory and he brings it to the Father. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. What is the chief end of man? to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And how do you glorify the Father? There's only one way. You've got to stay connected to Jesus. So, in conclusion, why does Jesus teach us that He's the vine? It's because He wants you to stay connected to Him. And in spite of all of those things that pull you away, He he deeply desires for you to stay connected to him. Why? So that you can bear much fruit for this life and the life to come. Why? So that the Father is glorified. Jesus' Father and your Father. Oh, it's all by grace through faith. You see, this is not about your justification. You're already clean. You're already producing so much fruit. And as we read and as we prayed and as we sang, 
we, we love to see the fruit that we're bearing, but we don't want to be content with that. We want to produce more fruit. Why? Because your father is worth it. He has created you for his glory. He has redeemed you for his glory. He's given you an ultimate reason for living. Stay connected to his son. Produce fruit. And therein he is glorified now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Holy Spirit, write this word on our hearts that even in the coming week when things would draw us away from Christ, we might remember that great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us, that we might remember that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross and scorned its shame so that he could sit down at your right hand. So help us to keep our eyes fixed on him and by your grace, through our faith, grant that we might stay connected to Jesus all the days that you give us in this world, that we might bear fruit for your glory now and forevermore. Amen.